Well, hello and welcome to the Smells Like Money podcast. Join me, Suzanne Chin-Taylor, the doo-doo diva, as I interview guests who are making an impact on how we manage and operate systems for conveying and treating wastewater. As a veteran of the wastewater, trenchless, and civil infrastructure industry, each week, I'll be bringing you industry know-how from industry pros who know how. Join me each week as I speak with representatives of organizations that are utilizing disruptive or new technologies and methods, and executives who are excited to share how to be successful and sustainable in our vital industry. So whether you want to learn about the latest trends in technology, in treatment or trenchless, gain tips on training and retaining great talent, or simply how to be more efficient, productive, or profitable, this podcast is for you. Ready? Let's dive right in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Doo Diva Smells Like Money podcast. Today, we are visiting with Kate Girardi, who is head of operations for Mehal Contracting. Now, Mehal, from what I understand, and Kate says, they specialize in industrial wastewater, which is a little bit different than we, we usually touch here a lot on municipal, but industrial is just as important because, let's face it, industrial does wind up getting down into the municipal wastewater stream at some point. And so we're going to talk about a number of things related to that. So welcome to the show, Cade. Hey, thank you so much. And before we get started, I just want to say I really appreciate what you do. I don't think there's very many people in our industry that do what you do. And I think that even this podcast here is super clever and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, because it's all about spreading the word. It's just, it's kind of a mission. A number of friends in the industry were just like, Suzanne, you do interviews all the time. You really need to do this. And I just saw a need and I'm really happy that people are getting, you know, so much out of it. And so for the listeners tuning in, Kate and I are actually going to do a series of three episodes on different topics as it relates to industrial wastewater. And this first one, we're going to be focusing on sampling. And although that may seem, oh God, dull, boring. No, but yes, it's actually very, very fascinating because sampling is really the foundational piece because if you're not doing your sampling correctly or you're not getting the best results or the most accurate results, it's going to make making informed and educated decisions as to what's going on in treatment and what may need to be adjusted that more, you know, it's going to make it that more challenging. And so, Cade, with that, uh, you know, that segue into that topic, share with the audience, you know, just some best practices or things that they should be looking at as far as improving their sampling processes or technology. Where do you see that? Sampling's role in pretreatment. Yeah, and I would say not even just in pretreatment. I'd say a lot of municipalities as well do tons okay. of sampling. In fact, we have a lot of uh, clients that do municipality sampling, and I'd say it's pivotal. And I honestly think that this side of the industry, the sampling side, is growing at an immense rate. Not only just for what their permit requires. But for the new things that are coming, and we'll touch down the road, but even like this PFAS sampling, which is just starting to hit as well, I think that this whole, just knowing what the best practices are and how to do it correctly is huge, especially for permits that have a range of how much 
whatever they're being sampled is allowed for. So, you know, if you don't do it correctly, you can skew those results not in your favor and uh, give inaccurate results to, in this case, it would be the cities, but for municipalities for their own records. So right. I'm really excited to talk about this. And uh, I think this is going to be a great little uh, information for the audience here. That's great. So, you know, when we talk about sampling, I, I've heard this as well, is that uh, a while back, I think it was last year, sometime I had a gentleman on the show that uh, he's got a safety device for, you know, jetting trucks. And we entitled it, This Ain't Your Grandfather's Sewer. And, <laughs> you know, years ago, like what people are encountering in the field, in the sewer, having, you know, touching is very different than you know, today than it was, you know, 50 years ago. We've got pharmaceuticals, we've got lots of viruses, you know, you know, set COVID aside. There's lots of other contaminants, you know, what do they call con emerging contaminants of concern? I think it's, yeah, yeah that yeah. this is all going to weigh into the sampling. And so, you know, take us down the rabbit hole of some things that we should be thinking about for how can we do better sampling? What are some of the things that we should be watching for that are simple or are there new technologies or methodologies that could be incorporated to just, like you were saying earlier, you could actually skew that maybe not in your favor. So how do we spin on that? What do we need to do to make sure that we're skewing it in our favor instead of not in our favor? <laughs> right. And I'd say I'm going to give you the biggest thing that I think that is the simplest tip that I believe not a lot of people in the industry are doing, especially as we come in as you know that consultant for a lot of companies that do sampling, um, one thing that we see immediately is now this seems pretty you know obvious, but it's always the obvious things we miss is tubing changes. So typically, what you see from sampling is they have a auto composite sampler that has a pump tubing in it, like uh, it, it's a it pulls the pulls the water up from uh, like a peristaltic pump. But what happens is these companies keep reusing that tubing, even the suction line tubing and even the, and the pump head tubing. And we actually ran a blank off our new clients' pump head tubings. We just took them and like ran a blank study to see how much contaminants are being like still kept in those tubings. And the results were like fascinating. I mean, we saw increased BOD, increased TSS, um, CODs. There were some VOCs we saw as well. Um, but it, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. It's like, you know, the most obvious thing to do is just keeping that updated. And before each sampling, either cleaning out the tubing in a proper manner or just replacing it altogether, it, it, it will, it will help your results because what that's doing is it's giving higher BOD, higher TSC, TSS, VOC, mm. TDS, and, uh, which ends up paying in NOVs or, um, you know, stuff of that nature right so is is changing the the tubing out is that like an expensive proposition if they were to put a new tube each time they did sampling yes so it's not too expensive i think it's uh it's it's definitely going to be cheaper than what it would cost in an nov that's for sure <laughs> okay um so <laughs> yeah that's for sure is um but for the most part even if that is a main concern like uh we got to you know we have to keep up with costs and stuff there are ways you can um, clean out the tubing in an organic form as well without having, again, to skew it. 
Now, I don't have the exact SOP with me, but I know if you just, you know, if you go online, you can search up the SOP of how to clean it. Because I know also something to be aware of is when you are cleaning out these, um, even the composite uh, buckets or these tubes, tubings, is you can't use certain cleaners because that will also affect your results as well, which I think is often overlooked is, you know, like the household cleaners. I mean, they have contaminants in it as well that will show up in your, in your, um, in, in your lab results, which again, doesn't help in your favor. So for instance, what kind of, what kind of contaminants when you say household cleaners, is it just, you know, from bacteria that just shows up or is it the actual chemicals that are in the cleaners that skew the results? Yes. It's the chemicals in the cleaners and plus what can be formed in an environment that is holding those as well. I'm not exactly sure which exact exact ones because we haven't ran a blank with like using the different household cleaners. We just right. know how to do it. Um, but I'd say even more largely is those cleaners typically can have PFAS. Like you can find PFAS in it as well. So I, I know definitely when you know when you're looking over the PFAS SOPs on how to sample, you're not supposed to use household cleaners and anything like that. Okay. But for the most part, you know, getting back to sampling and the best techniques, honestly, the best place everyone should start is really just doing good um, quality control over their, their tubing is, is as simple as that sounds. And I'd say next is keeping that environment of the sampler also well-maintained as well. A lot of times what we see is that bucket, like I had mentioned previously, when we come in, the first thing we do is we get them on a rotating uh, um, container for their samples, their composite samples, um, and, and get that cleaned up immediately as well, because we also ran a, a, a blank on that as well. And we all, we saw increased everything I mentioned previously, TSS, BOD, stuff of that nature. So it's extremely important to maintain the sampler itself. And I think that's extremely overlooked. And uh, I think that's definitely worthwhile and a worthwhile discussion. Well, why is it why is it overlooked? Is it that there isn't proper training or it's just time consuming? Like what what would keep it from being maintained as well as it should be? Lack of yeah. knowledge? Yeah, I think so. I think lack of knowledge and I think uh, just lack of training. It seems like when we come into these new places, it's like uh, it seems the standard protocol is, you know, once a quarter, you know semi-annually oh yeah we get around to it whenever we see it's getting backed up then we change it which is another thing too we can talk about as well is when we get into you know when they're when these samplers that they they operate off pretty much two principles and that's a flow pacing and a time pacing now it's pretty much whatever permits call for in in their permit but a flow pace are you familiar with flow pacing no please explain that because there might be other people listening who don't know either yeah, so flow pacing is based off however many however much gallons is moving through their compliance point. Okay, so okay. if let's say we want a sample to be pulled into a composite, right? Every one thousand gallons, for example, we could set that flow to to calculate and read off of a um, say something something that measures flow, like an AV sensor. A a laser, a bubbler, something that measures that flow and basically tells that sampler, okay, thousand gallons have passed. We have to get that, uh, that sample and pulls that sample. 
Same thing with time paste, but except it gets rid of the flow. That's just on a every 15 minutes, every 30 minutes, let's pull that sample. So, I mean, all this stuff, this all this plays a role into how we do the sampling. And that's also extremely important too, and how, how, we, how that sampler is set up. Um, so, you know, I think that's all lack of training and lack of knowledge, but just knowing and being wary of that is going to be huge as far as saving you on your results. So as a rule of thumb, for yeah. those who are thinking, oh, maybe haven't, we haven't been doing as good a job as we should have done. What do you as a consultant, you know, seeing this a lot, recommend as a, a maintenance schedule and what items as part of that sampler, in addition to the tubing and you were saying the rotating buckets, what else should the end user be looking for or checking out on that sampler on yeah. a basis and how often would you recommend? Yeah. So like I said, um, changing out that tubing, that composite, the, 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 the container that, you know, holds the, the sampler. I'd also say checking in on how the sampler is performing as far as it's cooling. I feel like that's completely overlooked as well, especially in like Arizona where it gets super hot. The sampler can't always keep up with, um, you know, the environment around it, which is extremely hot. <laughs> so to check that, to make sure that that's properly staying cooled, um, doing, you know, preventive maintenance on the sampler itself, cleaning the filter that the sampler pulls from, um, that's all of that is going to save so much in, you know, it, it working, the issues that it could, could cause. And again, the, the, the lab results that could be skewed. Now I want to touch on something else too, and that's like the sampler side of things. But when we're talking sampling best practices, I think that's something you know that people may not be aware of is whenever there's a sample that's pulled, whether it is through a sampler or even just a grab sample. So this would be you pretty much going out there, uh, getting a dip cup and pulling it through that way, you know, manually mm -hmm. is storing that on ice. So each sample has to be within a certain range before it's submitted into a lab. And the lab has to, uh, it will only accept samples that are in within a range of temperature. So making sure that, you know, they're cooling their samples and they're within their hold times is also, you know, within the best practices as we're, we're, we're discussing how to do, you know, best practices of sampling. That's very important as well. So what I mean by this is, you know, when you pull your sample, you have to pour it off into certain containers and they have to be specific uh, containers that you'd get from the lab. Some of them have preservatives in it to help preserve that sample a little bit better. Um, but not only that, but put, once you put it on top in, in, in the cooler, getting it to the lab in a specific time period. Because when we start talking about things like BOD, they have a whole time that is very specific to that uh, analysis. And if it goes out of that whole time, then that again, affects your, your results poorly and doesn't reflect accurately on what the, your, your water should be giving the results for. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, yes it does. So all these little, all these little nuances that people may not be aware of now. So when you were saying about the storage and the cooling, um, is that apply, you know, are we talking just industrial or is that apply to any type of sampling, you know, the municipal side as well as industrial? Yeah, munici municipalities definitely as well. And, you know, one thing what I've seen with those guys is they have big samplers because obviously they, they get 
they collect them. I'm talking, you know, 10, 15 a day. But there's been a couple municipalities that we've gone to that we've noticed, hey, like if there might be some, you know, lack of knowledge on how to properly do this. And it's just like I said, running through that checklist, I just basically went through previously making sure that they're doing all the good quality control that they should be. Otherwise, they're getting inaccurate results, which lead to things that don't need to be done for, because it's showing an inaccurate result. Well, is is the training and helping them develop best practices something that your firm offers? I know that you're locally based, but um, is this something that companies like yourself can help an entity with to make sure that they are using best practices, maintaining that equipment so that they're getting the best possible accurate results? Oh, definitely. Yeah, this is definitely something we specialize in. And, um, you know, the maintaining of the samplers usually is the best place to start. And that's pretty much where we get everyone on immediately. We get them on rotating, um, pretty much a rotating order to get them the items that they need. The bottle kits that they need that are specific to their analysis, which honestly, the labs help a ton with. So, you know, you got Legend Lab, Pace Lab, Test America, those guys help a ton, especially on the um, industrial side of things, because they don't have teams that look after that kind of stuff. What I've noticed with municipalities, a lot of them have internal labs that yes. they pretty much do, you know, in-house. So there could be some gaps of knowledge between, you know, the in-house lab versus, you know, a pretty national known lab like PACE. Right. So, so, so if they're unsure, they should be reaching out, especially if they're industrial, if they don't have their own lab, they should be reaching out and asking not to be afraid to ask for help from the lab. But it, so from understanding you right, the lab could be a really good source of help Definitely. for what they need to do. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Especially with those best practices as well. Um, even, you know, getting down to how to pour the sample. A lot of times, you know, People aren't pouring the sample correctly. So knowing how to pour that as well is very What, what do you important. mean by that? Yes. Yeah, and a lot of this seems pretty, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah it's pretty it's obvious. Just, it's obvious. So yeah. what, do you, what do you mean? So, you know, with composites, what that basically means is it, whether it's on a flow paste or a time paste, it's doing it all throughout the day. Okay. Okay. So it's pour, it's pulling samples, you know, one could pull at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock and so forth. Right. What, what you normally see is either it's not necessarily best mixed within the composite, right. That the, the composite container. And when you pour it, you could be pouring off predominantly, you know, 12 o'clock sample in the um, TDS bottle, you know, and then you could be, and then once that fills, then you pretty much could be pouring off nine o'clock sample in the VOCs bottle. Does that kind of make sense? So what, yes, what is yeah. supposed to be, what's supposed to be instructed and a lot of times we don't see is the proper mixing of the sample and pouring off correctly into each particular bottle for their analyses with the right preservatives. Because then of course that's gonna, when you were saying about the different timelines, that's gonna skew the results. Totally going to. Wow. Right. And we see that all the time as well. And because this isn't a small bottle, you know, it's not like it's mixing 100 milliliters. This is like, you know, five, five liter bottle, you know, sometimes even bigger. So how do they mix that up in order to get that pour? 
Yeah, so visually trying to envision. Okay, so how does this happen? <laughs> you just imagine somebody whisking it like uh, you know, like a bakery. Okay, no, that's that's not that's not that's not what we're doing. No, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> so. No, so you can pretty much just as long as you, they're mixing up appropriately. I mean, we just have like a like almost like a whisk, but not like a whisk um, to mix it properly. And a lot of times he does like a swirl to it as well, just to make sure that everything also on the bottom isn't settling because obviously things settle. Um, so make sure that's evenly distributed. That's all very good practice. Um, we pretty much have our guys go through that uh, that training how to do all of this as well. And we provide training to our, our customers as well, that especially the municipalities. Okay. Any other any other tips you want to share here? Because this is all I know, like you said, it seems obvious, but maybe you know, we just need a reminder sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, honestly. I think the best tip I could I could probably give is do the obvious. <laughs> it seems it seems like that's what everyone seems to be missing, and um, you know, reaching out to labs, making sure that you have the right kits in order as well. A lot of times that's not done correctly. Making sure that the preservatives match the right analysis, making sure you have the right volume per analysis analysis. And then again, that quality control that I've talked on, I can't hit, hit that home enough. If you guys don't have that in your SOPs, I recommend getting in that getting in there and getting that uh, installed immediately. Honestly, on a you know biweekly basis or monthly basis. Okay. Well, if people want to know more about what your company does in this particular arena, how can they reach you? Yeah, so you can go to mehallcontracting.com. That's pretty much where all our information lies. We're not just, we don't just do sampling. We, you know, we're going to touch on it more in our series, but that's just one, um, one thing we specialize in, in, you know, we do sampling all across the board. So that's where we can, can find us. Right. So it's M-E-H-A-L-L-C-O-N-T-R-A-C-T-I-N-G.com. Yeah. Com. All right. Com. Yeah. And, and Kate is also on LinkedIn. And so reach out to him there for more information. And until next time, you know, stay tuned. We're going to be following up on some more things related to industrial wastewater. Next up is going to be about permit compliance and what you can do to avoid those nasty fines for pretreatment. And what does that look like? So until next time, thank you for joining us and keep it flowing. Thanks so much for joining me, the Doo Diva, on this week's episode of Smells Like Money. What stood out to you this week? Share your takeaways by leaving me a review. You can find out more about the new technologies, creating sustainable solutions and insights on how to succeed in our vital industry by subscribing to the show. Whether you wanna learn about the latest trends in wastewater infrastructure, treatment or trenchless, you've got it all right here at Smells Like Money. If you're an industry expert and would like to be considered as a guest for the show, book a quick chat with me by visiting calendly.com forward slash the Tuit group forward slash B dash A dash podcast dash guest, or simply click the link in the show notes below. Until next week, a big shout out to all my industry friends and those who will be. You are my superheroes. Thanks for tuning in, keeping it flowing, and we'll see you all next week.